Well, we're going to finish this weekend our series called Life at Championship Level, How to Live Your Best Life. And we're using sports analogies or we're using people who win in life as an example of how we can up our game and how we can improve the quality of our life. How do people who win in life, how do champions, whether it's sports or in life, how do they manage failure, setback, disappointment? How do they handle resentment? How do they think? That's a good one. I want to learn from people who win in life because every one of us can emulate characteristics of those people. You can emulate the characteristics of a failure. You know, if daddy been divorced five times, you can just say, I'll be like daddy. I'll do what daddy did. Sure enough, you can end up with five divorces. Or you can find a better quality of life and seed that you sow and how you handle a marriage and relationships and improve the quality of it. Life ought to get a little better for each of us. Not perfect, but a little better, don't you think, as we got, come down the racetrack many, many years, we've gotten most of the stupid out. We know what doesn't work. We don't need to go around the mountain again, wear out our tennis shoes. We've had enough. And I'm just amazed how many people will keep doing the same thing, keep reaping the same thing. I don't care how many different people they marry, how many different jobs they have, how many churches they quit and go to, they still suck. Because no matter where they go, there they are. And you're the product of those. Is this too hard for you? I'm so sorry. Yeah. 2 Timothy 2.5 was our scripture. Follow the Lord's rules for doing his work, just as an athlete either follows the rules or gets disqualified and receives no prize. Last week we said winning is a choice that champions, people who win in life, people who live their best life, choose. They make the choice to overcome adversity, disability, and setbacks, because we all get them. And you've got to move beyond that to reach the destiny God has for you. People who win in life, champions, exercise the power of proclamation, we said. And the power of proclamation is declaring what God says, and it's the opposite of negative talk. Stop saying, I can't, and start saying, I can do all things through Christ. Stop saying, if and start saying, I will, by the grace of God. Stop saying it's impossible, and start saying what God said. Nothing's impossible to those who believe what I say. Stop saying I'm too old. What does that mean? Old is when your friends compliment your alligator shoes and you're barefoot. <laughs> Moses was 120 years old, walked to his own funeral. Get you some of that. Champions are persistent, we said. Quitting is not an option. Champions embrace partners, whether it's your spouse, teammates, stockholders, or church members. You learn, you must learn the power of partnership, teamwork. You won't get where you need to go alone. We all need people to help us. Two are better than one. A threefold cord is not easily broken. You need help. People who think smarter than you, people who know more than you do, people who have been farther than you've been, they can show you something. They can help you not make the mistakes they made. Wouldn't that be a switch for young adults? Champions take responsibility for their own life. Now, we're going to talk about thinking like a champion today. Paul says you don't receive a crown or a medal or a reward unless you keep the rules. And the Bible is God's rule book, right? I'm sorry, but my opinion and your opinion don't count. 
You and I don't get a vote. Now, that's a shock to an American. God doesn't even take your opinion into account. His Word is the final authority, and God says it's eternal. Heaven and earth will pass away, but not one jot, one period or comma of my Word shall ever pass away. Matthew 22, verse 37, Jesus said, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. So think about this, serving the Lord with all your mind. The Bible has a lot to say about your mind and what you allow yourself to think about. Scripture says you become what you think about. You are the sum of your thoughts. So it's very important how you think and what you think. You know, wouldn't you like, walk up to somebody, we'll work for food, and ask, you didn't get here this weekend. Ask them how they think about life. And if you have a, any kind of a conversation with them, you'll engage stupid to an unlimited portion. I can remember in the rock and roll band, our guy, I was one of the young guys back, back then in the, uh, in the 60s in the band, but I watched guys do the drugs. I watched guys get drunk, drive 120 miles an hour in their Corvette, kill two people, and end up in jail. And I remember thinking, hmm, I don't think that's a good idea. I wasn't a Christian, and I certainly wasn't a saint, but I remember thinking, no, nah, I don't think I'll do that. You know, I've watched your experience, so I don't need to experience it. I've seen the fruit of what you did, and I don't want it. You know, I watched my father and mother and uh, five divorces, and I thought, I don't want that, so I'm going to have to do something a little bit different. You don't wake up one morning and say, ah, today's a good day to take a gun and go kill people. No, idiot, you've been thinking bad for a long time. Wrong thinking. As a man thinks, so is he. So who's, who's doing your thinking? Your peer group? Your race? Your culture? Your political party? Or are you letting Jesus says, let the mind of Christ rule in your heart and mind? Think like me. I don't want to think like a Republican or a Democrat or a white Caucasian. I want to think like Jesus would think. And some of you are shaped by your environment, by your culture, by your background, by your relatives, and it's wrong. They taught you to think wrong. And if it contradicts clear Scripture and what Jesus would do, you need to change and renew your mind. I'm not going to get a bad result thinking the right way. Okay, sorry for that little rant, but I feel better. So the first and greatest commandment that Jesus targets is the battleground of your mind. Philippians chapter 2, verse 5 says, Let this mind, this way of thinking, this attitude be in you which was in Christ Jesus. That's a good place to start. Do I think like him? Let me listen to your mouth run. Let me listen to what you think. Well, I think. Well, I don't believe that. Well, I, my mother told me. Well, does that square up with how Jesus thinks? If there's clear Scripture there, I need to change the way I think. Romans 12, 2, don't be conformed to this world, that thinking, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So the culture is like a concrete, I'm going to pour concrete into a form, a form, whatever shape it may be. Right here, this one happens to be a square. And so you pour the concrete, and the concrete will set the shape of the mold, correct? 
But if I'm going to be transformed, I have to go over the, the mold. To be transformed means to go over the mold. So this culture is changing. tells you what to think, what to believe, what's in, what's out, what's right, what's wrong. And it just changes all the time. And God says, don't think like this world. I want you to be transformed by the renewing of your mind by my word. I want you to think like me. And I've had to contradict my father's thinking, my mother's thinking, my some bad religious training and my background's thinking. And if you grow, so will you. If you'll step over that mold, well, I'm, but people might not like me. Well, I might get rejected. Duh. You think? I think so. Probably so. But who do you want to please? Uh, Philippians 4, verse 8. Finally, brothers. That's what y'all want to hear me say, so we can bow in prayer. Finally. Finally, brethren. Whatsoever things are honest, pure, just, lovely, and a good report, think on these things. That means you and I are responsible for what we allow ourselves to think about. So let's look at seven thinking habits of people who win in life people who are champions, people who live their best life. Ready? Number one, decide what you want, not what mommy and daddy want. What do you want? Psalms 37, four, delight yourself in the Lord. He will give you the desires of your heart. Okay. But what are the desires of your heart? You know, the first step from where you are to where you want to be is to decide what I want. And Jesus asked a few people in troubled situations, what do you want? Blind Bartimaeus, screaming, Lord, Lord, help me. What do you want? I mean, the dude's blind, but that may not be what he wants. A guy was sick, laying at a pool of Bethesda for what? Years laying there. And Jesus said, you want to be made well? In other words, what do you want? What do you want? A son told his father, dad, I want to marry a beautiful woman. Dad, I want to marry a brilliant woman. Dad, I want to marry a woman that will make me happy. And the daddy looked at the son and said, son, make up your mind. <laughs> now I don't want emails, okay? So, so I ask you, what do you want to accomplish? What do you want to experience? What does success, what does winning in life, your best life, what does it look like to you? Not anybody else. You know, when you entered life as a baby, you knew exactly what you wanted. You knew when you wanted to eat. You knew when you wanted to be changed. You knew when you wanted to be held. You knew the food you didn't like and you spit it out. You devoured the food you did like. And you had no problem expressing your wants and needs. You were very clear about what you wanted. So what's happened to you, Sparky? Somewhere along the line, somebody told you, ah, what are you thinking about? Don't do that. You can't do that. You don't really want to do that. Stop doing what you're doing and start doing what I want you to do. Huh. And the result of that was you started living somebody else's dream, somebody else's opinion. You went to medical school or law school because your daddy wanted you to. You got married to please your overbearing mother. You got a good job, but you didn't live your dream. You didn't pursue what you wanted. So in the name of being sensible, you became somebody else. You became numb to your desires and lost contact with who you are. So, and by the way, religion does it too. It'll, if I get in that group, if I get in this group, they'll press me in their mold. You got to look like us, dress like us, think like us, talk like us, and believe everything we believe, even if it's stupid. I can't fit there. I can't fit that in a political party. I can't fit that in a religion. It, I've got to stick with clear scripture, and wherever that puts me, that's where I'll be. 
simple. So let me add, you've got to have a little guts to do that too, by the way. If you have to be liked by everybody, sell ice cream. All right. So, okay. So let me ask you this morning. I want you to do something. I want to ask you to stop settling for less than you want. If it's godly, if it's scriptural, if it's legal, if it's moral, if it has divine purpose, set your face towards it and don't let anybody steal your dream. You can't be happy living somebody else's dream. God said in his word, I'll give you the desires of your heart, but you have to stop living somebody else's dream to get there. And when you start dreaming, dream big because we serve a big God. Nothing is impossible to those who believe. I would rather that God have to say to me, Ricky, calm down. Whoa, whoa. Do you know he's never said that to anybody? Calm down. You're asking too much. But he did rebuke Israel three times for asking for too little. We settle for too little. And we think it's godly. Nonsense. Ephesians 3.20 talks about this God is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all I ask or think. Get around big thinking people. They don't have to be your pal. They may never, let, they may never be your pal, but you can, you can listen to them. You can hear their podcast. You can read their book. You can, you can figure out, hey, I can learn from this person. I want to be about people who think bigger. I want to be around religious people that aren't religious, but who think bigger about impact and reaching our culture today. And it's slightly different than it was in the 50s. Would you? Some of you don't know. Okay. It is. It's a lot different. So what would you attempt to do if you knew you couldn't fail? I'm not talking about doing something evil, of course. One man said, I'm wealthy beyond my wildest dreams. Unfortunately, my dreams weren't very wild. <laughs> Listen, do you realize how many unwild dreams there are in the average church? I mean, just, just to get by. Good enough is good enough. Praise the Lord. There's no Bible scripture for that. Good enough is not good enough. That's like duct tape in your car. Fix it. Paint it. Duct tape just means for a momentary, I got to hold this on here till I can get it to the shop. Some of you, I got in a guy's car, the headliner was down. He had pigeon poo all over the car. He had empty cans of Coke in the, in the chair. It was a filthy mess. And I thought, this is who this guy is. That's who he is. Not on my watch. No way. I ain't going to have duct tape. Something's broken. I can't stand it. If a red light comes on, girls, pull over. In your car. When the red light comes on, you don't keep driving. At least call your husband and tell him where that red light is. That's a warning. See, when you see little and that's all you want, that's all you get. That's it. John F. Kennedy dreamed of putting a man on the moon, and we did. Martin Luther King Jr. dreamed of a country free of racial prejudice and injustice. And while we're not as good as we ought to be, we're a lot better than we were thanks to his dream. Years ago, a long time ago, I had a dream to build Summit Christian Center. That was 30 years ago. We were renting a building on Bandera Road with offices on Loop 410. And the reason we had offices on Loop 410 is because the place was so crummy looking and so bad in such a bad part of town, I'd be ashamed for anybody to come there. 
and we tried to buy a church facility that went into foreclosure, we could offer about at that time a half a million dollars to close the deal, and we were refused because a large denominational church offered a million dollars in cash. Then that was a rejection. We looked at buildings and land constantly. We found our old property on San Pedro Avenue, and we bought it from the federal government, which had repossessed it. We finally filled that church and paid off that debt in full. Finally, 68 acres of land came due that we now occupy, and we negotiated and negotiated, and it looked like we're never going to be able to. I thought, isn't there anything to go easy? Nope. And finally, we were able to close the deal. After 10 years, we paid off every last dollar on the 68 acres of land. Yeah, but we still got debt. Don't worry. <laughs> then just about 14 years ago, we built this building, Summit Christians. What a process. What a fight. What a long journey. We had people from a back neighborhood jumping on tractors of our contractor to stop construction because they had built on the very back of the property line, and they didn't want a big building here. Like, this land's just going to sit, and it's commercially great. You, you wouldn't believe the stuff that went on. Threats, intimidations. But the God-given dream couldn't be stopped. God honored that dream, and here we are. God will give you the desires of your heart. God the Father dreamed that ordinary men could be heirs and joint heirs with His Son, Jesus. Their sins could be totally and instantly forgiven by a simple prayer confessing Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. Those sins would be buried in the deepest sea, never to be remembered against you ever. Your wife might, but God won't. He dreamed that mankind could be healed from sickness and disease through faith in God, that poverty could be conquered through a work ethic, and the favor of God through biblical generosity and tithing. You wouldn't have to depend on the luck of the lottery. God the Father dreamed that you could have everlasting life. You didn't need to drink from some mythical fountain of youth. You need to know Jesus who said, I've come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. He is the way. He is the truth. He is the only source of life. There's no other name, Acts 4.12, given among men whereby we can be saved. I don't know how you make that hard. You don't have to change your race or denomination, or your, your national culture, or whatever, to believe on Jesus, the Son of the living God. There's no other. And Christ went to the cross, right, and made that dream of the Father a reality. And if you're in this building or you're watching online, I don't care how successful you are in the corporate world, if you don't know Jesus, you'll never be a winner. And if you do know him and you follow him, you'll never be anything but a winner. I mean, what shall it profit a man if he gain the whole world and lose his eternal soul? Now that's called stupid. Secondly, a champion refuses to be defeated by failure. The fact is, everybody fails. Everybody makes mistakes. Read the stories of successful people, and nearly all of them went broke or faced intense rejection, had terrible setbacks and adversity. But after each time they did, they learned something from that setback that made them smarter and tougher and more successful the next time. Failure's a great teacher. I mean, teaches you what won't get you to your goal. I mean, you won't touch a hot stove but once. Now, failure doesn't have to be fatal. I told you last week, James Dyson, who invented that very strange and incredible vacuum cleaner, failed over 5,126 times before he brought it to market. 
But he learned from every failure and built a multi-billion dollar corporation out of all those failures. Michael Jordan said, I've missed over 9,000 shots. I've lost 300 games. 26 times the coach trusted me to take the last shot in the game, and I missed. But I don't ever remember that, do you? I remember the winner. But see, everybody's got losses. Look at the cross. Everybody that was there 2,000 years ago looked at that cross and said, failure. The Romans who worship power looked at the beaten, bloodied body of the Son of God and said, that's not power, that's weakness. Why, he can't even come down and save himself. To the Greeks who worship beauty, failure. Nothing beautiful about the cross or the way Jesus was treated as a criminal, beaten beyond recognition. To the Jew, the cross was a symbol of a curse. How could God the Father curse His own Son and put Him on a cross? The disciples fled in terror. They were hiding behind closed doors in an upper room, and to them, it was an embarrassment, a shameful failure. But on this side of the cross, we now know it was the greatest spiritual success in the history of the world. Death, hell, and the grave were completely defeated. Your sins were paid for in full. Sickness and disease were conquered. The Gentiles were grafted into the Abrahamic covenant by faith in Jesus Christ. And when Jesus shouted, it is finished, Satan was forever defeated and he can never undo it. Thank God for the cross. And it gave us victory over the world, the flesh, and the devil. I mean, this morning, folks, put your hand together and celebrate the champion of the cross, King Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Failure is not fatal unless you're a member of the average church in America. And what do we usually do when Christians fail? We reject them. But Jesus, our example, never disconnected from anyone who made a major mistake and acknowledged responsibility. Look at Peter. He denied he even knew Jesus. Peter said, I don't know the man. But when Jesus rose from the grave, his first message, go tell my disciples, oh yeah, and Peter. Don't forget him. Peter the failure, Peter the big mouth, Peter who would speak before his brain engaged. Every family has one, come on. But Peter went on to become one of the great apostles of the church. Look at Judas walking towards Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus knew Judas had sold him out for 30 pieces of silver and some Tesla stock. Just added that. Yet, yet how did Jesus greet him? He said, why have you come here, my friend? Jesus was saying in the last hours of his life, look, Judas, if you're willing, I'll forgive you and take you back, and we can start over. That's Christianity. Look at David. He committed adultery and murder, and yet with his repentance, God forgave him totally, and he remained king of Israel until his death, and God used David to judge every other king of Israel from then on as a good king or bad king by David. Shocking. I'm trying to say that if God has forgiven you and you've confessed your sin, you need to forgive yourself. I know some of you very well, and there are things in your past 10, 12 years ago that still torment you because you refuse to accept the total forgiveness of the cross. And there's this stupid feeling that if I just keep berating myself, condemning myself, I'll get brownie points with God. Nonsense. God, God didn't have any brownie points. He has no record of your transgression. It doesn't exist. And you're wasting your time with all that guilt, shame, and condemnation. Romans 8, 1 says there's no condemnation to people in Christ Jesus. There's some conviction, but no condemnation. All conviction is, is, hey, that's wrong, fix it. Repent of it. 
call and say, I'm sorry. That's all. Or pay your debt, whatever it may be. Condemnation is, is uh, you're no good, you're no good, you're no good. Baby, you're no good. <laughs> I'll say it again. You're no good, you're no good, you're no good. Baby, you're no good. It's just, it's like, why try? But that's never what God uses, ever. The blood of Jesus Christ has washed you whiter than snow. It's been obliterated from your record forever. God himself has declared, I will remember your sins no more. So if God has forgotten it, you forget it. It's over. It's forgiven and remembered no more. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad. I am. Oh, and once you learn to forgive yourself, forgive other people. Because everybody around you will fail sooner or later, and I do mean everybody. Forgiveness is the key that unlocks the handcuffs of hatred. It's the key that unlocks the door of resentment and bitterness. And if you really want to be set free in your life from other people, forgive them for everything they've ever done to hurt you. It's not what you do for them. It's what you do for you. And instantly you'll know a freedom you've never known in your life. Number three, champions are never limited by past success. Boy, that. Did you make a million dollars last year? tithe. The second message is forget it. Were you salesman of the year last year? Forget it. Did your team win the championship last year? Forget it. Did you preach the best sermon of your life last week? Forget it. Yesterday's success becomes today's comfort zone. See, when a man, a businessman, a football, basketball team, or a church yields to the memory of past success, it produces complacency, stagnation, and ultimately, death. I remember Coca-Cola was, was the only soft drink out there in the world. And they got complacent. And Pepsi ate their lunch. And then Coke reared back up to reclaim a larger share that they've never gotten back yet. Because they lost it doing the, being complacent. Like, we're on top of the pile. We don't need to add anything. Be creative. And that all changed when Pepsi started stealing the market. Well, that can happen in your life as well. Don't get complacent. Growth has no finish line. Keep learning. Keep growing. Keep thinking. Stay creative. Some of you, if you lost your seat in church, you'd have a fit the rest of the day. You are so prone to the obvious routine that you can't handle change. See? All leadership demands constant achievement. The Bible speaks of the eagle who stirs up her nest. The mother starts to pluck the fur out of the nest and removes the comfort zone for those young eaglets because she knows what they don't know. If you stay here now that you've matured and you don't get out of this nest and learn to fly, you will die. The snake, the serpent will eat you. I have got to get you out of this nest so you can reach your full potential. And they flutter and fall and squeal as they fall towards the valley below. Mama Eagle swoops down, catches them on her back before disaster, gets them back up on the ledge and says, okay, baby, rest a minute. Five minutes, your second flying lesson begins. And that's God's message to his people. When you reach a certain place in maturity, it's time to stop sucking your thumb and expecting everybody else to serve you. It's time to start flying towards your divine destiny. Stop sitting in your mud hole whining about something that happened 10 years ago. First of all, nobody cares and nobody wants to hear it. You have a destiny larger than you can imagine. And God wants you to think like it, talk like it, act like it in Jesus' name. Number four, champions are not controlled by their fear. We all have fear, but they're not controlled by it. 
What you fear will destroy you. If you give in to fear, you'll never become what God meant you to be. What you fear gives it license to rule you, and it usually becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. Job said, the thing I feared has come upon me. Ever hear somebody say, I was afraid that was going to happen. I kind of knew that was going to happen. See, the fear of never getting married makes you act so goofy and unnatural that when you're with somebody of the opposite sex, they won't marry you. Fear of illness makes you feel bad every day of your life. Reminds me of my grandmother. I feel something on my tongue. I feel something lumbago. I, I mean, that woman had every disease of Egypt, if you listen to her. Not really, but that was, that was, that was grandmother. Fear of not being pretty enough makes you overdo makeup, and you end up looking worse. Or you get so much plastic surgery, you look like a Tupperware party because you overdo it. Fear. Is this too hard? Okay. <laughs> okay. Fear, fear of losing your spouse causes you to act in such a controlling way, it drives them further from you. Fear of poverty causes you to hoard and violate God's clear instruction to tithe and to be generous, which only makes you more impoverished and leads to a spirit of poverty. Fear you can't keep a commitment keeps you from making one. So failure is inevitable. Kind of like the guy that came to America to learn English, you know, and he was afraid of failing. And he told the teacher, you know, if I fail, these Americans will make fun of me. So he said, please, I need to order food to eat. Can you give me something simple I can use? The teacher said, yeah. Say hamburger, french fries, and Coke. You can do it anywhere. Try it. So he practiced hamburger, french fries, and Coke. And sure enough, he goes to a restaurant, and the waitress says, what would you like, sir? He said, hamburger, french fries, and Coke. And she brought him the order. He thought, wow, this is great. And he went back time and time again for months. But he started growing tired of that diet. So he asked the teacher, can you teach me something else? So for breakfast, she said, order eggs, toast, and juice. So the guy practiced eggs, toast, and juice. He went back to the restaurant, and when the waitress said, what would you like, sir? He said, eggs, toast, and juice. So she asked him, how do you want your eggs? Over easy, medium, scrambled, boiled, or poached? How about your toast? Do you want white bread, brown bread, wheat bread, rye bread, English muffin, or a bagel? What about your juice? You want orange juice, tomato juice, grapefruit juice, guava juice, or passion fruit juice? The guy looked at her for a moment and said, hamburger, french fries, and Coke. <laughs> See, if you're afraid of failure, you'll eat hamburger, french fries, and Coke the rest of your life. And a lot of people are living a hamburger, french fry, Coke life simply because they're afraid of failing, so they never venture out. They never take a risk. Psalms 56, verse 3, when I am afraid, I will put my confidence in God. I will trust in the promises of God. Psalms 34, 4, I prayed to the Lord, and He answered me and freed me from all my fears. See, the word that Jesus used most, fear not. Fear not financial loss, I'm Jehovah Jireh. He's the one who can make you the head and not the tail, who can give you houses you didn't build, wells you didn't dig, and vineyards you didn't plant, who delights in the prosperity of his servant, who makes the liberal soul fat. He can restore what Satan's taken from you and give it back sevenfold. Fear not sickness because he's still the great physician. Fear not death. He's the resurrection and the life. Fear not your past. It's been forgiven and forgotten. Fear not the unknown. He's already in your tomorrows working out problems you didn't even know exist yet. 
Fear not principalities and powers of darkness because you have the name of Jesus, the blood of Jesus, and the armor of God. You've been given power of attorney to use his name. Live like it, think like it, talk like it in Jesus' name. Number five, a champion refuses to be mastered by resentment. Now, I'm not responsible for stuff that happens to me, but I am responsible for what happens in me. You can face life's calamities in one of several ways. You can resent it. You can resign yourself to it and live a life of despair, or you can rejoice forevermore. In all things, give thanks. Now, that's pretty easy to say. It's easy to thank God when there's money in the bank and everybody's healthy, but when everything goes south, everything's upside down and bad goes to worse. If you really want to experience some supernatural power from God, then do this. In all things, give Him thanks. Whether you understand the principle or not, in the darkest Gethsemane of your life, just lift your hands and say, Father, I don't understand this storm. I don't un understand why, but I know you are my Lord and Savior. I know you have a good plan for my life. You're too wise to make a mistake. You're too loving to be unkind, and I'm following you knowing that you're working out my tomorrows, that you'll make a way where there right now seems to be no way. You're going to lift this burden. You're going to defeat my enemy. You're going to bring me the answer. There's a promise coming, and I know it, and I praise your name. You have to say that in faith because you sure don't feel like it. I've had people tell me they resent their lives because it's so out of control, and I thought, Really? Let's take a look at the facts. You control what you do with your free time when you go home. You control your thoughts. You can control your dreams, which shape your destiny. You control your attitude. The Bible says, as a man thinks, so is he. You can control your tongue. You can choose to remain silent, or you can choose to speak. And if you choose to speak, you can choose your words. You can choose the tone of your words. This is not a marriage seminar, but it works. You can either start a fight or you can enjoy the day. A soft answer turns away wrath. Your life is full of choices. You are the only person who can control your commitments. You can choose to serve God in the church or you can choose to be vice president of the Lions Club. You, you can control your worries. Jesus said, take no thought of tomorrow. Father knows what you have need of already. You can control your response to difficult people around you. You are in control of your life. Nobody can control you without your permission. Well, you don't know my brother. You don't know my mother-in-law. You don't, I don't need to know them. And no, I don't want to know them. You can control the time with them. Well, I don't want to offend them. Well, they're sure offending you. Cut the time. Cut the tie. Make some hard choices. Whom the sun sets free is free indeed. See, God sets you free. Don't let anybody else put you in bondage. Number six, champions are never controlled by greed. Isaiah 56, 11. Yes, they are greedy dogs that never have enough. Paul writes in the New Testament, having food and clothing, let's be content. That doesn't mean I don't desire to do better in my life. It means I'm grateful for what I have. So which of those people are you? The one screaming for more, more, never enough, no matter how much you have, and very little appreciation. Oh. I'm going to get in trouble for this. You know, when a billionaire sits down with multimillionaires and talks about persecution, I want to throw up. I, 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 if I hear, I mean, 
the people that are suffering today, people facing injustice, people facing average people, and you live a privileged life, everybody does everything for you, pays you for being nothing but a drama queen because you were a Hollywood star and you married a prince or something, and I'm thinking, and I'm going to feel sorry for you with the life you've got? Come on, bud, change coats here. Are you afraid to talk to me or what? I, I, I feel sorry for people who face injustice. I feel sorry for people who have no privilege or whatever, and they've, they've been discriminating. I don't feel sorry for multimillionaires and billionaires. That's not a way to reach me. But when I see somebody struggling to do the right thing and being, when I can make a difference in their life or help them, that grabs my heart. You live privilege, shut up about complaining. Get in touch with real people around you who have real problems. The fact the paparazzi bothers you is not a real problem. <laughs> Honey, get a cab ready. I'm going to have to make a quick getaway. Okay. Or do you want to live with godly contentment and gratitude for what you have? The point is God's already given you what you need to succeed. Don't be consumed with greed. Don't chase a get-rich-quick scheme or a pot of gold at the end of a rainbow. It'll cause you to waste money. It'll cause you to take illegal action, leave you with greater poverty than you imagine. What you need to succeed, God's already given all of us. It's not somewhere else. It's in your house. The miracle is in your business. The miracle is in your church. The prophet asked the widow. She said, the creditors are coming to take my boys. What's in your house? Well, I don't have anything but a little bit of oil and some vessels. Go get what you have. The miracle that God produced was already in her house. The, how are we going to feed all these people? Little boy brought a lunch. Jesus blessed it. A widow had a cruise of oil and a little cup of flour. It was right in their hands, and it was all God needed to solve their problem. God has not called you to do something for which there's no access to it. God will give you exactly what you need to fulfill His purpose and destiny for your life. And last, number seven, champions always find a way to serve. What do you think about when you hear the word servant in America? Somebody stooped over, disadvantaged? Jesus said, he that's greatest among you is the servant of all. Wow, he redefined our culture, didn't he? Paul said, in the last days, men would be lovers of their own selves. And that spirit of self-love has invaded our nation and the church. Romans 15, verse, verse 1. We that are strong ought to bear the infirmities of the weak and not to please ourselves. That word infirmity is not talking about physical infirmity, but emotional infirmity. Something that somebody does that irritates you, that bugs you. Paul says, those of you that are strong have the ability to bear the weakness of other people that bug you. Your strength in the kingdom of God is measured by the weakness of other people you can endure. Your spiritual strength is not measured by what you believe. It's measured by what you can obey. That's why God said in 1 Samuel 16, obedience is better than sacrifice. And James said, demons believe in God. They're not atheists, and they tremble. They just don't obey. So people who believe and have an emotional experience have the same profile of a demon. You believe, you just don't obey. The rich young ruler believed, wanted to be a part of Jesus' ministry, but Jesus saw him. He knew what his problem was. He says, go sell all you have and give up some of your stock and give it to the poor and follow me. Now, he didn't call everybody to do that. He put his finger on the problem with this young adult. 
and he refused to obey, and he walked away. When he discovered the cost of discipleship, he said, no. And many people want more of God. They want God to bless them. But you're not willing to lay down your life, not willing to endure the weaknesses of others, not willing to serve because whether you know it or not, you've become self-serving. See, you have other names for it that are a lot sweeter than that, but that's where you are. When you really discover the Spirit of Christ, you find a way to serve and to serve with joy and humility so the body of Christ can be blessed by what you bring to the table. Now, that's living your best life. That's thinking like a champion. And this just gets me because of the way I was raised. If you mess it up, clean it up. If you go to a home group, a connect group, and they serve goodies and whatever, you don't walk out when it's over. You walk in there and say, uh, Gladys, can I help you wash some of these dishes? Here, let me help clean the table. Let me get the trash glad bags and pick up some of the debris. Let me re-put the chairs up there. It's amazing at the reports, the, the masses of people that walk out and never help clean up. <laughs> I want to say, get back in here. Help Cindy clean up the kitchen and all these chairs and the bathroom and all the mess you made. Help us clean it up. We don't want her up to 4 a.m. in the morning. Now, is that right or is that right? Some, what happened? Did your mama let you out of the house without teaching you that? You help and serve. You help clean it up. Now, if they've got a crew that's doing it, okay, but you could still help pick up trash, serve, get somebody, help them to their need. That's just non-existent today. Clean your bedroom, Becky. Pick up your trash. Put your plate in the sink. You know, you, you think that's basic. Next week, I'm doing a brand new series on family. And you ought to be here because I'm going to touch all the hot buttons, okay? And I just, I just put you on notice to say if you're going to a group and, and they have a party or something, don't just walk out. Say, can I help clean this up? Can I help fix this up? What can I do? Can I mop up that floor right there? Somebody spill their soft drink on it. I'll, I'll clean that up for you. And people love you. Nobody hates a servant. Nobody hates being served. They just hate people with entitlement that don't even think about others, and they just walk out. Yeah, well, I'm glad we didn't tear up our house. <laughs> Let's get home. <laughs> That's not thinking like a champion. And God sent his son to die on the cross so that everybody in here and everybody watching online could become your best self, live life to the highest potential. You could be a champion for Christ, living your best life. For more information on Summit Christian Center, visit summitsa.com.